Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credit for many of the TMA Practice Well podcasts? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash C-M-E-T-O-G-O to register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and Standards of the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products, devices, or services may be discussed in the content of the CME activity. The planners and speakers of this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as a primary legal source and does not replace the advice of your health care attorney. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the Texas Medical Association's Education Center, where through webinars, publications, and See Me To Go podcasts, DMA strives to provide physicians a reliable resource that will help you and your practice thrive. In addition to caring for their patients, many physicians are also running a business. Physicians in independent practice are business owners. Your practice relies heavily on consistent cash flow so that you can manage expenditures and pay your staff salaries. With delayed reimbursement from payers, reimbursement rates dropping, and expenses continually rising, it is the utmost importance to keep the financial health of your practice at the forefront of your mind. That means billing correctly to insurance companies and collecting from patients. Patient collections is a frequent problem for practices. So I've asked Molly Mailman, one of TMA's practice management consultants, to speak with us today about financial policies and patient collections. Molly has 10 years experience in healthcare, working with hospitals and specialty-based outpatient practices. Her expertise includes financial reporting and analysis, budget forecasting, 
productivity optimization, operational efficiencies, and strategic planning. Molly, thanks for joining me today to share your insights and how to overcome this financial hurdle of patient collections. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Asking for payment for your services shouldn't be crippling or cause anxiety. Today, I will discuss payment and collection policies for your patients. Having a clear written policy will let your patients know what you expect of them and what they can expect of you. A well-crafted policy will prevent patients from being surprised about their financial obligation when they receive your services. It's that surprise factor that tends to cause patients to become agitated and makes the conversation about money uncomfortable. It will also give your practice some risk protection should a patient fail to follow through on their payment obligation, and it also clearly outlines what you're expecting to collect. That's true. No one likes surprise expenses. So how do we begin? To start, we will review the elements of a policy and important keys to remember when writing your practice's financial policy. I will also give you strategies and general rules to protect yourself from patient complaints. Now let's dive in. Having a written financial policy presents a multitude of benefits, both for patients and the practice. You can offer in clear, concise terms solutions for patients, like payment plans or auto-drafting, which may help minimize worries and confusion. We know that practices that have a firm financial policy are more likely to receive payment at the time of service. We also know that when patients walk out the door without some sort of agreement or arrangement, the likelihood of the practice ever collecting that outstanding balance drops to 70%. So having a policy in place that informs patients that they are required to pay their required portion at the time of check-in is extremely beneficial for cash flow and the overall financial well-being of the practice. The policy will also arm your staff members with scripts and the tools they need to collect more effectively and confidently. Make sure to have clear display your financial policy and financial options on your website as well as in your office, having it posted to the wall in your reception area or at the check-in desk. You can also include it in any practice brochures and other patient education materials. Generally, most practices include this policy in the new patient paperwork packets that patients receive or download prior to their appointment. Best practices also have staff ask the patient if they have any questions about the information and specifically about their financial obligations or insurance processes. So setting clear expectations from the beginning of your relationship is key to success. I don't know of any business, much less a physician's practice, that can sustain a 70% drop in collections. So I think it's safe to say that most practices have a financial policy. I think what TMA consultants see is the policies are not very good for the practice. So what are the components that make up a sound financial policy? First, clearly define when payment is expected. In most practices, This is the time of service unless other arrangements have been made in advance. If alternate arrangements have been made, make sure payment due dates are clearly indicated on patient statements. Most practice management systems these days will allow you to customize the messaging on these statements. 
Second, identify who is responsible for the payment. For example, self-pay patients are responsible for the entire amount of the services provided. If patients are enrolled in health plans, they're responsible for any amounts not covered by their insurance. This is particularly important when your patient is a minor. If there's a delinquency on the account, it's imperative to have the responsible party named for third-party collection agencies. Third, lay out how copayments and deductibles will be handled. One of the best practices is to have copays collected at each visit without exception. This practice needs to be emphasized. It also needs to be addressed what the practice's policy will be if a patient shows up without a payment. Is it easier to collect the copay before the patient is seen by the physician than after the visit? As I've already mentioned, once they walk out the door, the likelihood of you ever collecting that money drops considerably. To help with this, some practices use calculators that estimate coinsurance amounts or amounts that will be applied to the patient's deductible. They go ahead and pre-charge the patients before the claim is processed by the insurance company. Now, this sometimes leads to refunding more dollars once you receive the EOB or remittance advice, but it also escalates your cash flow by several weeks. And you should also inform the patient what will happen if they show up for their appointment without payment. Should they expect to reschedule? Do they have time to run down to the first floor where the ATM machine is? Do they have a credit card? These are things to consider. Fourth, what forms of payment will your practice accept? Will you accept personal checks, debit cards, credit cards, or even cash? Depending on what you will accept, again, make sure to post this on your website and on the door of your practice or at check-in. And there are a few things you need to think about that aren't a part of the patient financial policy. Like if you accept checks, who will be responsible for depositing those? You may also ask yourself, will you accept all credit cards or just a few with lower rates? Do your homework and get multiple bids from providers if possible. Rates vary based on the volume of collections. Lastly, if you decide to accept cash, there needs to be oversight and specific protocols. Always have one person take the cash and have another person account for the cash and the deposit. This acts as a checks and balances and helps mitigate risk and protects the office from theft. You also need to document the time of collection and the time of attestation to the cash. Track the amounts of cash with labeled deposit bags from your bank. Now fifth, you will need to clearly define your policy regarding non-payment or bad debt. What will be the consequences for non-payment? Will you have fees or penalties? Will you involve a third-party collections agency? Another key to remember when writing your financial policy is to keep it simple. Talk through the policy with your staff and review with your patients. Ask yourself, does this seem fair and reasonable? Would you accept this as a patient? Use those questions as your validity test when creating your financial policy. Now that we have defined the main components that go into a financial policy, what are some other things that may need to be included? You should think about and decide what is your practice's stance on collecting delinquent accounts. Will you be lenient on terms or offer payment plans? Or will you be stricter and send them to collections and credit reporting agencies? 
at what time does an account move into that next stage? Remember, you need to treat all delinquent patient accounts in the same manner when reporting to collection agencies. Make sure to over-communicate consequences that you intend to follow through with upon default. Also, take note of patients ask for prompt pay discounts. How will your practice handle that type of discount? Will it be allowed? If so, how much? Make sure to have all these policies in writing. Next, identify what staff are responsible for managing patients with delinquent accounts. Will they be authorized to negotiate or make exceptions? How will they handle escalations? What will their workflow be and how will they track payment arrangements? Also, decide what techniques you will use internally. Will you utilize patient statements, letters, phone calls, payment plans, or charge fees? How will you track these efforts? Who will be responsible for overseeing this? And lastly, determine how far you will go to enforce the collection of patient responsible balances. Consider legality, ethics, financial viability, and even patient terminations. It is important to note there's a specific process for patient terminations. You will need to notify the patient in writing the reason for the termination, refill any prescriptions for 30 or more days, and have their medical records available. Encourage the patient to find another healthcare provider to continue receiving regular care. When terminating for financial reasons, make sure to have notes in the patient chart how this information was communicated and discussed multiple times before termination. It is vital to have documentation of your efforts in the event of a complaint. For more patient-centered communication for physicians, managers, please see Texas Medical Association's white paper on physician-patient relationships and Rx for success. These publications are free for members and their staff. Yes, we do. And the link to that publication is in the episode description. It's a very helpful publication. Can you give us some common do's and don'ts now? Sure. Let's start with the do's. Do set your expectation for payment early on in your relationship. Make sure to collect patient contact information, such as name, address, and phone number. It's a good idea to verify this information at each patient visit. For example, for established patients with follow-up visits, staff can ask, Mrs. Jones, does your cell still end in 3382? And do you still live on St. Stephen's Road? This confirms there has not been a change and the details it out for the patient. If you say, Mrs. Jones, any changes to your account? The patient may not realize you do not have the up-to-date information. If you only ask, is your phone number and address the same? It's human nature to agree and simply say yes. So also be deliberate about how your staff confirms this information. For example, the patient was asked if their cell ended in 3382, but the staff member did not say the full number. This is important because this protects the patient's privacy. If you set the full number or complete address with other patients present in the waiting room, that would be considered a HIPAA violation. 
we can still be detailed with information and requests to protect patients' privacy. We just need to be mindful of how we do it. Additionally, do make your patient sign a financial waiver agreeing to your policy. Now let's switch over to the don'ts. These are items that are not common practice and should be avoided. Do not charge excessive fees. Fees could include interest, late fees, or even collection fees. When instituting policies regarding additional charges, make sure to check the Texas state law. For example, there are laws around how much you charge patients for their medical records. Make sure not to violate the law and do not communicate consequences that you do not intend to follow through on. If you have a specific question about what you can or cannot implement, it would be in your best interest to reach out to a healthcare attorney for guidance. Okay, we have covered what should be included in a financial policy. The next question is, how do you set these expectations? Talk with your patients about your policies. Be open and honest with them. You are owed payment for your services the same as if someone had to pay their bill after a meal or at the grocery store. But it's more difficult to talk about money when you've developed a relationship with the patient. It's imperative to understand the patient's bill and be able to speak about it thoroughly, factually, and nicely. Have your staff trained to be prepared for patient questions and have all the facts and supporting documents in place and easily accessible if necessary. It's helpful to have the explanation of benefits or remittance advice available. Understanding the patient statement and the responsibility is key to your success. Most of the questions that come from patients are simply from not understanding their bill. Therefore, it is important to understand how to read the explanation of benefits and be able to educate the patient about it. Items such as when the service was provided and how much is truly owed. It is also a good idea to review the patient's history so you are fully prepared for any potential objections. Were there problems when the time of service was rendered? Problems would be a personal problem, such as a loss of job, or other problems could be scheduling or not having a pre-authorization. Have there been previous repayment issues with this patient? Remember to be calm and smile. It's also important to remember to know your boundaries. Know what you will and won't accept from patients. Will you only accept payment in full or will you accept a portion? If the patient is insured, keep in mind you are contracted with the carrier and you will need to follow policies and procedures you are agreeing to. Any discounts or adjustments may be subject to price discrimination. A common question patients ask is, can you just write this off? Can you help me out this one time? It's common to practice empathy with your patients. However, the most effective response is to educate the patient on price discrimination. If you were to write off this one balance for a patient, that is unfair to your entire panel of patients. It's not only unfair, it violates your contract with the insurance carrier if they have health insurance. When contracting with insurances like Blue Cross, Humana, or United, 
you sign a contract agreeing to their policies and procedures. If you write off a balance for a patient or not charge a copay, you are violating their policies and participating in price discrimination. It's important to mention lots of patients have financial hardships. If they are truly experiencing a financial hardship, there are several talking points you can use. Texas Medical Association has several charity care policies. You can go to www.texmed.org forward slash charity care for a sample of that policy. Molly, if you can't waive co-pays in the patient portion and say it's a charitable care because that really is for indigent patients, what should you do with past due accounts? To start, you want to look at the aging of your account receivables. Assign a staff member to work an aged account receivable report. Common practice is to pull the report in intervals or with buckets, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and over 120 days. Data has shown the earlier the balance is aging, the more effective it is to collect. For any accounts more than 120 days, start calling those past due accounts. Make sure to document your efforts. Try catching patients when they're available. For example, if they work a second shift, make sure to call them in the morning when they're home. Or calling during lunch breaks for working professionals is also very effective. When making phone calls, think about these steps and strategies to be most effective. Step one, identify the correct person. Identify yourself with your name, title, and where you are calling from. Advise the reason for your call and ask the patient for payment in full today. And then pause and wait for the patient's response. If the patient state they cannot pay, start by asking questions. Be careful not to ask why, as it puts patients on the defensive. Instead, try asking, what can I do to help you take care of this? Or what caused you to fall behind? This allows the patient to start talking, tell their story. It will uncover clues to the situation and their ability to pay. Remember to express empathy. Step two requires questions on your part. Start to probe for financial sources or information around their employment income. Ask assumption questions such as, when do you get paid next? Or how often do you get paid? Always try to negotiate for the best possible arrangement. You are looking for a balance in full or even a balance in two, three, or four payments. Step three, be the problem solver. Remember, this is not about winning a battle or an argument. Be respectful, helpful, and use appeals. Examples of appeals would be, I understand this is a difficult time, or I would like to help you, or even I know you pay this if you could. And finally, recap your agreement terms. Clearly communicate when, what, and how the payment will be made. Set expectations and schedule a time and date for follow-up. Understand what happens if they do not follow through with what was agreed upon. Be ready to handle payment objections. Acknowledge to the patient that you are listening.
Words to show you're listening are, I see, or yes, or really, or even, "Uh uh-huh. Be sure to agree with the patient as being reasonable. Phrases such as, I can see how you would feel that way, or others have said that, or I see your point. Try and answer the objection if you can. Identify the most common patient pain and objections prior to the call. Be armed with your practice's position and response to these common objections. And don't forget to create a sense of urgency. A key term is effectively using the word today. Examples are, how much will you handle today? Will you pay all today? Will you pay something today? Communicate haste calmly, using the words important, vital, now, immediately, crucial, this morning or this afternoon. When today won't work, set a deadline for the earliest action. Keep in mind what urgency means and make sure you and the patient have clear definitions of the term. Deadlines must be meaningful to the patient. Internally, your policy will need to have definitions on when staff met to discuss which delinquent accounts need to go to collection. What is the date that requests for exceptions will be granted? How many dates aging does this account go to collections? Be mindful when collecting bigger payments. Don't ask how much per month or how much can you send? Instead, ask, how long will this take you to pay off? How short are you are paying of the full balance? When talking with patients, try to remember these helpful tips. Always recall general rules to protect yourself. Always tell the truth. Never pretend to be an attorney or a collections agency. Document in the patient's financial account records, not their medical record. And don't retaliate. Be proud of who you are and what you do. Keep these conversations confidential. Follow the golden rule and show the same respect you would expect in return. Always stick to official debt collection and credit reporting agencies. If you are unsure about the legality of the method, contact an attorney first. These are good strategies and your scripting examples will help staff manage these conversations. Now, what happens if staff does not follow the financial policies? Enforcing policies is one of the hardest things for an employer to do for a variety of reasons, says the Texas Workforce Commission. It is very common for employers to decide not to enforce a policy because they feel that the employee deserves a break, even though the policy was fair, and the employee clearly broke the rules. In these cases, employers often regret their decision because they lose unemployment claims due to inconsistencies in their policy enforcement. Don't let this happen to you. Texas Workforce Commission offers tips for policy enforcement. First, don't counsel your employee. Warn them. Even though you care about them and want to help them improve, you need to be clear that they could be fired if they continue to make that same mistake. Do enforce your policies every time to avoid condoning an employee's actions. If you suddenly fire an employee for an action you ignored in the past, 
it could look like there's another reason for firing him or her. Likewise, a final warning should be just that, a final warning. Also, don't wait too long to give your employee a warning. Employers frequently lose unemployment cases, according to the Texas Workforce Commission, because the incident was warranting the reprimand was too remote in time. The employee may argue that there must be an alternative reason for receiving the warning. If you have a good reason for the delay, keep good records to justify your actions. Another key item is to not apply your policies retroactively. Don't warn an employee about conduct you don't actually have a policy forbidding, even if you wish you did. Don't pick and choose whom you warn. You can lose all credibility in such a case because it suggests favoritism. Apply your policies fairly and equally to everyone. Don't give blanket warnings to all of your employees. If one employee violates a policy, warn that person, but don't warn everyone. If you do, not only will you have a hard time winning your appeal, but you also may expose yourself to discrimination lawsuit. If you have a progressive disciplinary policy, follow it. Don't skip steps unless your policy clearly allows for it. Keep adequate records of policy enforcement. You can lose credibility when you appear to be unclear about the details of the incidents. Molly, this has been very helpful, and you've given things that can easily be implemented. Do you have any last pearls of wisdom to share? If you don't have written office policies or are not confident about your policies, TMA's Policies and Procedures, a guide for medical practices, is a place to start. Policies and procedures are necessary for several reasons. If properly customized to your workflow and kept up to date, they can be utilized by your staff for orientation and instruction on how to complete the various processes in your practice. An up-to-date PMP manual annually reviewed by your medical director can be a great risk management tool if adhered to consistently. The most effective practices build morale and culture into their office. Collecting payments and discussing past due accounts with patients is not an easy subject. Some staff can even be uncomfortable taking money. This mostly centers around your staff members' confidence and knowledge of the bill. Medical billing is complicated and takes a long time to understand. Try building in positive factors around collecting money. For example, track time of collection rates. If your front desk receptionist had a 100% collection rate for the day, maybe they get a star. For however many stars they get within a week or a month can translate to prizes, gift cards, or free lunch. Create excitement and recognition for hard workers. As their confidence builds, so will their knowledge base. Having a manager or you as the physician sit down and educate your medical assistants and receptionists on medical billing goes a really long way. When they are given tools to succeed, they will be able to handle patient complaints and tackle difficult billing questions. This will reduce every single billing question being escalated to you. Try to create a culture that's inclusive 
and welcoming, in turn breeds loyalty and mutual respect. For more information regarding payment and collection policies and strategies, please do not hesitate to reach out to Texas Medical Association's Practice Consulting Department. Thank you again, Molly, for speaking with us today. And to our listeners, for more help on this topic or to claim CME credit, go to the TMA Education Center. Links are provided in the episode description. Like and follow us for our next episode. Until then, stay well.